and um, I'm starting to feel my face again after being outside. So it's, it's a joy to be able to, hopefully I'm able to enunciate words. Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of James. James 1, we're going to be a familiar passage this morning, but prayer is that it'll be help. These are words that are always challenging, always encouraging, always uh, helpful for, for, for me. And it truly is beautiful if you don't have to go anywhere. Um, it, it is gorgeous. The crystal clear air you can see for miles longer than any other time at the time of the year. And so we've enjoyed being here. Getting here, well, that's another story. That's the trying of your faith that James talks about. But we're thankful to be here and looking forward to a great week. Now, I realize this is a Sunday school crowd, and I'll probably say some of these things. I know some of you drive aways, and some of you have work schedules. I already know that. But let me challenge each and every one of you to be here as much as possible. We're starting special meetings. And what is a special meeting? You know, I grew up in the deep south, and revivals down there, I mean, it gets wild. I mean, revivals are these all-night singings, not in the church I grew up in. But they get, revival has this context down in the deep south that kind of gets a little bit spooky. The town where I grew up had a notable revival, Pentecostal revival, and uh, it lasted for four or five years. And there were some good things, but there was also a lot of weird, weird things that happened. So what is revival? Revival is simply God's people turning back to where God wants us to be. I don't know about you, but God's still working on me. And the longer I live, the more I realize that repentance is not just a one-time deal. Yes, I trusted Christ as a kid. I placed my faith in Christ, but that it's a lifetime of, God, how are you changing me? God, you're still working on me. God, what, I, I need to be submissive to you. And let me challenge you, this special meetings aren't anything special in and of themselves. It's not like we're expecting, well, God, we've set apart these days where we, we know that you're going to do X, Y, Z, and you're going to save these people, and you're going to... No, that'd be putting God in a box. We pray that God does. And we pray that God transforms this community through the Word of God, but if God's people will simply draw nigh to Him, as James talks about, what does James 4, 8 say? He might draw nigh to them. Draw nigh to God. He will will that's the opportune word that's the that's the key word there it's a promise and if you go through the old testament i i've studied this past year and it's pretty fascinating it's very convicting when you seek me with all your heart you'll find me and he says it over and over again and it plays itself out in so many different capacities obviously they were in a different state in the old testament and, and they're obviously there's spiritual truths that carry over obviously god's not going to bless our crops in the same way and heal our land the same way that he promised to do then but there's still the same spiritual blessings you draw nigh to god he will draw nigh to you so let me challenge you and i'll say this probably say something similar again let me challenge you if you're humanly possible and unless you're providentially prevented let me encourage each one of you to be here for tonight Tomorrow night, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. And I realize some of you drive away and it's just not possible. Some of you have other uh, circumstances, work. And I, I realize that. We're not going to talk ill of you if you're not here. But I have found in my own life, when I come to meetings like this personally, when I'm not preaching, which isn't very often, when I come to meetings like this and they say, God, I need. I don't even know what I need. But I know you're still working. I know there's needs in my family. I know there's needs in our marriage. I know there's needs in every aspect of my life. I know you're still working on me. 
And God, would you take your word and show me and change me and move me and motivate me? When I come with an open blank and I say, God, would, would you just move and work in my heart and life? It's amazing what God does in my heart and life during those special times. Conversely, when I approach a special week, and I've done this at times, eh, we'll see. We'll see if this guy can preach. Well, newsflash, he can't. We'll see if this guy tells funny stories. We'll see if we come back. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. You know what I get out of those weeks? Nothing. Very little, in fact, most of the time. But when I, it doesn't really matter who the preacher is often. When I just say, God, I need to hear from you. And I personally draw nigh to what God wants me to do. It's amazing what happens. Now, I realize we're at the first of the year. It's been a busy year for many of us already. There's a youth rally yesterday. But let me challenge you to do a few things, perhaps practically. Number one, just think about your schedule. I, I may be able to come. What happens if maybe in this day and age it doesn't happen? If we, we got six kids. If we don't plan to do something, it doesn't happen. We can have the best intentions in the world, and if we don't plan on it, it doesn't happen. So let me encourage you to plan on being here, to be a part of it. Those of you with children, let me encourage you to think through the week and think through what needs to get set aside, think through meals even, think through clothing, all the little things that may prevent families and individuals from attending a Bible preaching service on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday night even. And let me challenge each and every one of you to be here as much as possible. Be, be open to bringing somebody. Well, I don't know. They may not come. Well, here's an idea. What if you know somebody in the church that's, a, that's maybe a regular, maybe kind of hit and miss type person. You know them. You've got a relationship with them. What if you say, hey, we're having special meetings at church. Yeah, yeah, I think I saw something about that on Facebook. I may be able to come. Well, put away their excuses. Help them put away their excuses. Hey, I'll pick you up at 6.15. We'll stop by, get a bite to eat, and we'll come to church, be in church at 7. I'll give you a ride. Well, I don't like to drive at night. I'll, I'll drive you. Make, put, help people put their excuses away and do your best to be here, invite people. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Now, I'm a, not a long-winded preacher. I realize that it gets late. There's children who have school. Our children have school the next day. And so I'm going to do my best to keep the services abbreviated but focused. I'm going to make it worth the time to come, but I'm not going to prolong the time. I've told people this many times. I've never preached over two and a half hours. And I don't, I don't plan on it this week. No, in all sincerity, typically when we start at 7 in revival meetings, I am wrapping up at, by 8, 8.05, 8.10. And our goal is to be there uh, because I realize time is important. But at the same time, though, I also know that some people, sometimes we finish and people just talk for hours afterward. And then they say, oh, the preacher, you know, the preacher didn't keep you late. But let me just challenge you. Be here for each service you can. And I realize some of you have work schedules, some of you live a ways away. I get it. But if, if you can do something to prevent it and you don't, then, well, that's on you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. It's a promise. So, you know, when, we, when we've been at, for 15 years, we were members of the church and we lived 50 minutes away from our church. And so special meetings were a challenge when we were home. Missions conferences were a challenge to get to. There was a week actually a week and a half where I, we had special meetings each night and we had to go back up and forth. And I think I put 500 miles on the van that week, but it was worth it for my children to sit under sound Bible preaching, be challenged biblically 
It'll be worth it for you, no matter the sacrifice you and I have to make. It's worth it. I know I, don't, I have the shortest t- uh, steps to come this week, but it's going to be worthwhile for God's people to draw together, seek God both personally and collectively, and see God work in our hearts and lives. Here we are in James this morning. Look what the Bible says in verse number one. Again, familiar passages. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord." James was written to real people. These individuals, these first century Christians, were not sipping a latte in the coffee shop talking about theoretical problems. These were struggling Jewish Christians who had come to faith in Christ, many of them, within the past several years. And when they did, their lives got turned upside down. This is the same people group that Hebrews was written to and that 1 Peter was written to as well. These are struggling Jewish Christians, and they're keeping it real, you could say. They're, they're, just, they're just trying to hang on. One of the subtitles of a uh, commentary that I saw in the book of James years ago, probably two decades ago, is James, Life in the Pressure Cooker. And that's apt, because James deals very real with where we're at spiritually, how we're treating people, what our tongue is doing, how we're acting, how we're reacting, and what we're thinking. It's talking to people who are going through the thick of it. I don't know everyone's life story here this morning, but I do know this, that all of us are facing difficulties, challenges, trials, issues, problems, right? Either you have, are, or will. Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you came to Sunday school this morning? And James's attitude is incredible here, and one that we need to grasp, one that I know we know it because we've read these verses before, and if you've been in church, you've probably heard these preached before, but one which we need to be reminded of. Notice what he says there. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know who James was? Who's James? There's several guys in the New Testament named James. Who's this James? Half-brother of Jesus. If I'm the half-brother of Jesus and I'm writing, I think I'm going to use that name, wouldn't you? James, the half-brother of Jesus. So listen up to me because I know what I'm talking about. But what does he do? James A. Servant. That word there is doulos, literally bond slave. Obviously, slavery in the Roman Empire was different than the abuse of slavery that's happened since. It's not, it wasn't always good, obviously. But James is calling himself an indentured servant, a bond slave to the Lord Jesus Christ, his stepbrother, his half-brother. Pretty incredible. He's this humble man. God's worked in his heart and life. After the resurrection, he's become a leader in the early church. He says, to the 12 tribes are scattered abroad, greetings. So he's talking specifically to the Jewish Christians who have been scattered abroad. And he says, my brethren, verse 2, count it all. What's that next word? What? (laughs) Joy? Joy? James, you... What are you talking about? Now, I'm being honest. I'm being a little facetious here, but I'm being honest with the way you and I think about this. Count it joy when you fall into diverse temptations. 
when I was a kid, I would always see that word divers in James 1, and I thought about, I thought about temptations that this man in scuba gear had on. He's down in a wreck on the bottom of the sea, and he gets tempted. I'm like, what kind of temptations are down there? And so, a little humor, pardon my little humor here. How many of you have ever done that before with a, with a song or something as a kid? You, you just had a misconception, complete misconception? Yeah. Uh, and like you, you mishear a song, lead on, oh, kinky turtle. You ever, you ever done that before? Just as a kid, you, you hear things. We've had my, my eldest daughter, and she'll, she'd be embarrassed if, I told you, if she knew I was telling this to you. Um, there's the song, My Name is Recorded in the Book of Life. Of, you may not have heard it, but it's, it's talking about your name being recorded. And she used to sing that to her sister, My Name is Rebecca in the Book of She heard it as different things. Well, I used to hear, see, see divers, and I used to think it's this guy in scuba gear down on a ship, and he's getting tempted. And I thought, well, that's not applying to me. This is me as like a junior kid or something. But divers there is just diverse, various, different types of temptations. So literally, humor aside, let's think about this. You go through different types of temptations in life. What's supposed to be our attitude in these trials? What does it count at all? Joy. This is weird. What was he talking about? How many of you have faced interpersonal conflict within your family? Yeah. How many of you have faced health difficulties, either personally or within people that you know and love? Yeah. How many of you have faced uh, job challenges or economic challenges at some point in your life? Yeah. How many of you have faced issues with children or even parents? Yeah. We could go down the list, and we have faced difficulties. We have faced different types of temptations, different types of trials. And what does James tell us to do? My brethren, count it all. What kind of idiot is this James guy? What, what, where, he's out in left field. Now, I know he's not. I know he's not an idiot. But, but be honest. Doesn't the world think this would be absolutely idiotic? Because the world's response to different difficulties is like, pfft. Ah, man, and they use choice language. But James tells us as Christians, my brethren, count it all joy. He was not asking them to rejoice in the painful experiences, but rather to view their sufferings as profitable, even though they are not always enjoyable or pleasant. And that's the difference. Have you faced difficulties in your life? Count it all joy. Have you faced interpersonal relationship problems with family members? Count it all joy. Have you faced health concerns, economic concerns? Count it all joy. Have you faced temptation even in the spiritual matters? Like you just can't succeed. It just seems like I just can't get there. Count it all joy. And if, you, if you're unsaved or even a nominal Christian, this makes absolutely no sense. Zero sense. But James explains this, and that's why we have to keep going. Our attitude in trials is supposed to be joy. The attitude that James advocates here can take all the bitterness out of even the most uncomfortable circumstances. Regardless of the source of the difficulties, the world, the flesh, the devil, we can and should be glad as we go through them. Now, the world looks at that and says, you're an idiot. That makes no sense. But remember, hold on, who's in control of this? Who's using the difficulties of our life to change us to, to, to his glory? It's God. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this is the trying of your faith worketh patience. One author wrote it like this. 
Most people count it all joy when they escape trials and count it all grief when they have to endure them. But for the child of God, you and I can and should say, praise the Lord, I'm facing some difficulty. Count it all joy when I'm facing some challenges. My ministry hasn't gone like I thought. I didn't see the acceptance. I, I didn't, my marriage hasn't gone like I thought. Praise the Lord, count it all joy. This makes no sense to the world, and we're not rejoicing the pain, but we're rejoicing the fact that God's working. He's using the difficulties in each one of our lives to do something. And again, this takes eyes of faith because the eyes of sight at the time just don't make sense. We can count it all joy. So I want to ask you this morning, and I want you to just think about this honestly. How are you viewing the difficulties that you're facing? Economic, physical, emotional, uh, relational, you go down the list. Whatever it is, how are you viewing it? The world says, it's not fair. Nothing good can come of this. But God says, count it all joy. It doesn't mean we're happy, 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 happy. No, but joy is a settled inside peace that comes. One preacher described joy as an inside job. It's not something that happens because happiness is, oh, yes, it's not blowing snow today. I'm happy. It's beautiful. And I I get to enjoy it. I'm happy. That's happiness. That's dependent upon the externals. Joy comes from a settled knowledge of who God is and what he's doing in our lives. And that's what James is saying. We can count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. How are you viewing the difficulties you're facing? We see in verse 3 the purpose of the trials. So our attitude in trials, joy. Purpose in trials, producing patience. This is critical for us to understand. God is working patience into every single one of our lives. Keep your finger here in James. Look over with me at 1 Peter. I may have used this analogy and illustration here before, but it, it still sticks and resonates in my mind, and hopefully it will in yours as well. Look at verse 7, 1 Peter 1, verse 7. So like two or three pages to your right, you'll find the little book of 1 Peter. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Hey, if I had today in this hand a bunch of gold, what's gold right now? It's over 2,000 an ounce, I think. I haven't looked at it recently. Does anybody know? Is it over 2,000 an ounce? I'll just tell you this. The only gold I own, my wife wears. That's about it. So I got a bunch of gold in this hand. And in this hand, I got a bunch of trials, difficulties, challenges, and issues. Which hand would you choose? It's not your question. Which hand would you choose? The gold. Yeah. But I would submit to you that that's our earthly man speaking. Because the trial of our faith, looking at what 1 Peter 1, 7 says, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. You take your gold to heaven, not that you can, but you take your gold to heaven and God's going to look at you and go, why'd you bring asphalt? I got plenty of it here. I don't need that. What'd you do with the trials I sent you? What'd you do with the difficulties, the challenges, the issues, the sufferings? What'd you do with those? There was an old preacher. He's been in heaven now for uh, 19 years. We were talking about him last night. And he used to say in his deep southern voice, he had pastored a large church in Tennessee, he used to say, if God has sent difficulties, problems, trials, and testings in your life, and you haven't allowed them to be making you more like the image of the sun, then friend, you've wasted a lot of perfectly good trials, difficulties, and testings. And that's the truth. 
They are much more precious than gold. The difficulties that you and I are facing are much more precious than gold. Years ago, I had a professor who explained it like this. He asked us, how many of you have ever housebroken a dog? Let me ask the same question. How many of you ever tried to housebreak a dog? How many have been successful? How many of you have given up on that beast on occasion? Yeah, I get it. Why do you do that? Why? Why do you housebreak a dog? Not a trick question. Wow, this is not a very talkative group. Why? Why? Yeah. So he doesn't make a mess of your house, right? Pretty simple. Same way, same reason we housebreak our kids, right? Because we don't want, we want to stop paying for diapers eventually, right? Just being honest. Okay. I know this makes us the dog in the analogy, but think about it. We housebreak a dog because we want them to live in our house according to our rules. Whose house are we living in for all of eternity? God's house. So he's using the difficulties, the challenges, the issues, the problems, the the, the setbacks in this life to train us for the next. Because we're living with him and we will serve him forever. That's why he says, hey, use those difficulties. Count it all joy. Allow them to produce patience. Look back with me at James 1. Look what it says this. Knowing this, verse 3, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. God's working in me and in our life, and we can have joy because we know that Jesus is in this. Jesus is doing something in this. Elizabeth Elliot, you know that name? Her first husband, Jim, was martyred on the mission field. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot said it like this, The secret of joy is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. And how many times have we wished that we were in a different set of circumstances? I wish I had this. I wish I was more successful here. I wish I had a different this. I wish I had different people in my family. I wish I had that. I wish I had his, his, his life. I wish I had his money. I wish I had their family. I wish I had... And we've wished ourselves into a different set of circumstances thinking that would bring us joy. No. The secret of joy is realizing that it's Christ in me. He's working. He's doing. He's changing. He's molding. He's living his life in me. And he's using the hardships, the challenges, the difficulties, the diverse temptations, the diverse problems, the various issues I'm facing to make me more like the image of his son. That's joy. That's why you and I can have joy. You're facing problems today. You can have joy. You're facing issues. You can have joy. You're facing health situations and difficulties and problems and questions and all these things and uncertainties. You can have joy. Because of the issues? No, because of the God of the issues. The God who's using the issues. The God who's using the challenge and the difficulties. How big is God? We could have sung it earlier today with the kids. My God is so big. Is your God big enough, strong enough, and mighty enough to take the issues, the problems, the setbacks, and the challenges of life and to use them ultimately for his glory? The God of the Bible is, and that's the God we serve. Notice what it says there, again, verse 3, knowing this, the trial of your faith worketh patience. We think about it in a practical term. Metal has to be heated to become valuable, doesn't it? Does a pile of iron ore do anybody in this room good? Not really. You build a driveway on it, I guess. But the pile of iron ore, or even aluminum ore, however that is ore or mined, doesn't do zinc. All those metals don't do much good. But you put them into a furnace and you mix them at the right. Well, then you were able to drive this morning to the church. 
because they got heated. They meant nothing in their raw form, and God's people in our raw form, in our flesh, they're not very, we're, we're valuable to God because he died for us, but we're not useful to his kingdom work. We're not going to be able to serve him effectively here and forever. But we're heated, we're, we're moved. The trying of our faith worketh patience. It worketh something that's incredibly valuable to God. No, how, no matter how unenjoyable the trial of our faith is, it's working patience, which is incredibly valuable. 1 Peter 1.7 mentions that. We just saw that the trial of our faith is much more precious than gold. So let me ask you, what's your attitude in trials? And secondly, what are you doing with the trials? What are you doing with the challenges that you and I are facing? We see the result in verse 4, the result of the trials. Look what it says there. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We're supposed to let patience have her perfect work, that we may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So we're not supposed to press the easy button. It's sad, and we've all seen this perhaps in extended family or in stories we've heard, when a young person gets into trouble and their loving mother or loving father or loving grandmother or loving grandfather presses the easy button to get them out of trouble. We've seen that, right? And we, we can identify it a mile away in other people. Sometimes we struggle identifying in our own family life, but we identify it a mile away in other people. And we see how, that. oh man, why, why did they bail them out? Literally even, why did they just... They need to learn the lesson. Just let them learn the lesson. And sometimes yet in our spiritual realm, we fail to see what God is doing. And we need to let, verse 4, allow patience to have her perfect work. And sometimes we think the cookies are done and they're not quite done yet. And they got to stay in the oven being baked a little bit longer. Could it be that God is using the difficulties to bake us, to change us? We're ready to get out of the oven. God, I'm, I, got, I learned the lesson. God, I'm, I'm ready to get out. I'm ready to be done with this. I'm ready. It's not fair now. I'm, I'm done. I, I'm done. And we get a little bit agitated and, and even mad, even bitter at God. And God says, allow patience to have a perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The result of that trial is that God's working He's doing something in our heart and life. Again, let me give you a quote by Elizabeth Elliot. I read this probably a year and a half, two years ago, and it resonated at the time with what God was doing in my heart and life. She says this, or said, I should say, there are a good many things in this life that we can't do anything about, but that God wants us to do something with. Did you catch that? There's a good many things in this life that we can't do anything about, but that God wants us to do something with. And what do we do about the suffering? What do we do about the challenges? We can't do much about it. We can do something with it. Allow God to work that patience into our heart and life. Let patience have her perfect work being, uh, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, when we say perfect and entire, it's not means sinless, but it means mature and useful. It has the idea of being complete in every good and in every part and perfectly sound. You've seen people who've gone through hardship and have come out the other side doing better. You go to a doctor. Do you want a doctor who's 16 years old and who has not passed any exams? Do you? Do you want a doctor like that? No. You want a doctor who's struggled, who's taken many, many, many tests. Yeah, I, I'm homeschooled and I'm 15. I'm a doctor now because I saw it on the back of the Frosted Flakes box and I signed my name on the paper and I got a certificate. I'm a doctor. 
No, no thank you, I'll pass. You want somebody who's gone through the difficulties. You want somebody who, as James would call them, is perfect and entire, useful and mature in their profession. Somebody who uh, fights for us. Do you want our special forces and you want our military guys? Do you want them to have zero training? Our pilots of our bombers and our fighters. Yeah, I think I know what these buttons are. We'll, we'll figure it out when I get up there. No, they spend years training for that. But yet sometimes we think in the Christian life that, the, that we, we don't need to go through difficulties. We don't need to go through challenges. We don't need to go, oh, I don't know, I just, I, just want, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to take it easy. I want to sit in my lazy boy and sip the sweet tea for the rest of my life and then go to heaven. And yet God says, no, 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 no. I want to use the difficulties to make you perfect and tired wanting nothing. I want to make you useful. The word translated patience in these passages has the idea of a quality of stamina that enables a person to stay on his feet when facing a storm. And we've seen the men and young men who have endured hardship, perhaps even on a gridiron field, if you want to use a practical analogy. You know, that seventh grader comes to the team and they're like, eh? They get plowed over. But yet, give a few years and some weightlifting, some training, you have this massive 18-year-old young man who can stand up and knock others down a couple at a time. That's who the coach wants. That's the valuable person because they've used the difficulties to strengthen them. And that's what we're supposed to do with the challenges of our life as well. Notice verse 5, and we're almost done here, but notice what it says in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not and it shall be given him. So when we're going through these difficulties, we can have help. It's not as though God says, okay, see you later. Bye. Have fun with your life. I'll see you on the next side. And then walks away. No, no. no. What kind of cruel, sadistic God would that be? If any of you lack wisdom, how many of you lack wisdom? Can I see your hand? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And I'm so glad here. Did you know that God is a liberal? He is. Look at your Bible. God is a liberal. Some of you are like, Brent, I don't know. I'm leaving here. No, he is a liberal. He giveth to all men. What's the word? I know it pains some of you to say it. But yeah, God gives to all men liberally and he braideth not. He doesn't like chide you. Oh, Gellis. You just asked me for wisdom yesterday. And in fact, a couple hours ago, you asked me for wisdom. <sighs> what did you do? You didn't even use it correctly. Okay, I'll give you a little bit more wisdom, but before I give it to you, you better use it good this time. Are you sure? You? That's what we do to our kids. Well, I do at least. What does God do? You need wisdom? Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. He doesn't chide us. He doesn't abrade us. He doesn't say, ah, oh, come on. You're still asking for wisdom? And aren't you thankful he doesn't? When I was young, I thought when I get old, like 24, 25 or something, this is like 18, 19-year-old me. I thought when I get old, like 24, 25 or something, I'm going to have life figured out. I'm going to know all of life's questions. I'm going to have a plan for life. I'm going to know what I'm supposed to do. You know, the more I realize, the more is that we never have it figured out. That's what, why it's called living by faith, not by sight. And you know, I've come to realize I need Jesus. I don't have it. I ain't got it. Pardon my Southern. You ain't got it either. And you know one thing? You know, religion likes to mask our, our brokenness. 
But let's be honest, none of us have ever had it. And yes, we have the word of God. We know that's true, but I know me and you know you and I'm glad you don't know me and you're glad I don't know you like you know you. You know, I know me, right? But aren't you thankful there's one that knows us and still says to us, hey, you need help for life's questions? You need help? Come on, ask me. Ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. He doesn't chide us. And I'm so thankful he doesn't. Because it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's parenting or grandparenting or questions about finances, life, moves, all, all the different questions. There's so many things there that I don't have a, I'm not sure about. And yet God knows. And that we can go to him and ask wisdom. Now, very quickly as we finish, we've got three minutes here. But let him ask in faith, look, verse 6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Now, I used to read this, and I used to think to myself, well, man, nothing wavering? Does that mean you've got to come to God and have absolute assurance? Absolute, I know this is God's will, so I'm going to ask in prayer. But let's be honest, how many times have we prayed not knowing the will of God? Is that kind of what this verse is talking against? I used to read this and think you have to have, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Well, what about the guy who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Because I, I, I would say that's more mean more of the time than nothing wavering. Well, if you study the book of James, you look at it, James is not talking about absolute assurance and knowing God's will. He's talking about the person who's not living by faith. The person who's kind of, God, I need you. And they go through a season, they're clinging to God, and then life gets easy and they drift away. And they're doing their own thing, and I don't need God, I'm fine. And then they, oh, God, I need you, I need you, I need you, oh, I'm fine. And they're going back and forth, back and forth. That's the double-minded man in James. That's the one who goes back and forth, back and forth. And that's why James says, let him ask in faith. Let's ask, friends, from a consistent life of faith, whether it's going good, great, or horrible, we're in our word daily. We're walking with God daily. We're trusting him. No matter if we can see the light and it's going great, or if we can't see the ground below us and we don't know, but we're just hanging on to the unseen hand. No matter what's happening, we ask in faith, ask consistently. That's the man, again, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James is talking about the person who goes back and forth, back and forth, who goes from trusting to untrusting, faithfulness to kind of, oh, yeah, I, I like Christ. I need Christ. Oh. No, that's the guy who gets tossed in the sea. Have you ever been tossed in an ocean current? How many of you have? You don't have too many ocean currents in South Dakota. But I was on the Pacific beach of El Salvador uh, four or five weeks ago, and the waves are six, seven feet tall. I did, I, I did a baptism there. It was, really, it was a really incredible experience. Uh, it was quite a bit warmer than it was is here right now, but we won't rub that in. But um, the waves, as we got out onto the sandbar, we did the baptism kind of in a shallow pool where the water was somewhat calmer. And it was, you know, the swells would come, and so you could dip them, and they would fully get submerged and then come up. But this, the waves, I remember there was one wave that it crested. And I mean, I, it caught me before I was able to turn into it and brace myself. And I remember getting tossed. And I, I thought I was standing up, and I wasn't standing up. I was going the other way, and then I stood up thinking I'm facing the shore, and I'm all wiping, and I'm not facing the shore, and I'm facing whichever way I was. I don't even remember. That's the double-minded man. That's the person who's not consistent, not faithful. But you and I, when we're consistent and faithful, walking with God, we have a blessed promise that we can receive wisdom for life's questions, life's difficulties, 
God's not going to chide us. God's not going to go, oh, Gellis again? You just asked me. No. He's going to give liberally. And I'm so thankful my God's a liberal <laughs> here in James 1. Aren't you? God gives liberally to all men that ask. Praise the Lord. Say it with me. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, different types of temptations. The world looks at that and goes, that's stupid. Makes no sense. For the child of God, it's an incredible realization that God is using all things. Oh yeah, Romans 8, 28, we know that verse, right? He works all things together for good. Father, would you help us to have your perspective on trials, difficulties, testing, and would you help us practically to not be the double-minded men that, that James talks about, but to be men of faith and women of faith who consistently walk, consistently trust, consistently depend upon you. Oh, Lord, that's my personal prayer. Would you challenge and change us through your word today? In Jesus' name, amen.